Um, I began a little while ago <clears throat> sharing some thoughts on the subject of prayer and specifically on becoming a house of prayer because Jesus began and ended his public ministry by cleansing the temple and saying, my house shall be a house of prayer. And we know that it uh, doesn't matter what denomination uh, you come from or church background, most churches have moved quite a, quite a distance from actually being a house of prayer. At, at the very best, um, most churches um, that ha will have some kind of prayer ministry or prayer team. They might have a, a, a prayer minister. Um, but, you know, prayer is ancillary to their ministry. Really, the church is kind of a religious social center that's focused on um, teaching and singing. And then the prayer happens in some other room, some other time, and a few handful of people participate. And that, we know that cannot be what Jesus intended for his church. He said, my church shall be a house of prayer, which means the whole house needs to be praying. So we've been sharing some thoughts, and I've, I've shared probably, I don't know, about 11 or 12 of them, and began last week sharing a group of three thoughts, the first of that group I shared last week on motivation for prayer. What motivates us to pray? What, probably a better way to put it is, um, what does God want our motivation to pray? What's he want that to be? And I picked Psalm 27, four through six, where David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. And that's the first motivation is desire, and we spoke about that last week. Without desire, there is no prayer. Prayer fuels, uh, uh, desire fuels prayer. But David went on to say, one thing have I desired, and that also will I seek. And we're gonna develop that thought this morning, and we're gonna talk about desperation, moving from desire to desperation. So David said, one thing have I desired, that also will I seek, that I may dwell. And that'll be next week, we're gonna talk about Delight being a motivation to pray. So one thing have I desired that also will I seek that I may dwell in the Lord's house all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his holy temple. Because in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his home. I, you know, it says pavilion in the King James or tabernacle, but I love the, the better translation. He'll hide me in his home. His home, not just his house, his home, in other words, where he lives. And in the secret of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He'll set me up upon a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. Therefore, I will offer in his home, in his tabernacle, sacrifices of joy. And I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So David says, <clears throat> there's one thing I seek above everything, want just one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and seek him all the days of my life. And Dave, David was a very active man. You know, he was warring. He was raising a great big family. He was leading Israel. He didn't have time to pray. I mean, by, by our standards today, David probably just had enough time to maybe have a little prayer on, in the chariot on the way to work. He, he didn't have time to pray. This was not a man that could lay around in the house of God and pray all day long. So what was he talking about? He said, one thing will I seek. And, and look, let me say, I, I don't believe David lost his interest in killing Philistines or fighting God's enemy. I don't think he lost his interest 
in uh, running the state of Israel or any of those things. I think David had a robust desire for life. He loved the life he was living, even the miserable parts of it. He was a man that was engaged. So David wasn't saying, I don't want to fulfill my responsibilities. I don't want to be engaged in the things that, that, that I feel a stewardship over. So what was he saying when he said, the one thing I want is to be in the house of the Lord all days of my life? He was simply saying, I want my life to be centered in prayer and come unbroken communion with God so that out of that, the Holy Spirit moves and fills every activity of my life and leads me. That's what David was really saying. So last week we shared about desire, but sometimes prayer has to be more than just desire. Sometimes it must become desperation in order to receive the level of answer that God wants to bring. Hear me in this opening thought because it's, it casts a context for everything else. Many times God has something really special, really big that he wants to give us. And just simple desire is not going to receive it. The people who pray, the individual who prays, has to be motivated by something higher than desire, something we're going to call desperation. So our 13th point in these thoughts, our 13th thought is that desperation prayer brings special results from God. And I want to use the illustration of Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel, the prophet Samuel. And um, just read a little selection of scripture out of 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Hannah was um, a Jewish woman that lived 1100 B.C. For those of you who are victims of public education, that means before computers. So it was a long time ago. And um, she was, Hannah was married to a guy named Elkanah. And in those days, <clears throat> uh, men would have multiple wives. Hannah was barren, could not have children. And in the in the age that she lived in, a woman's value as a person, her standing in society was determined by having children and raising them. So not having children uh, was, was something that, that tormented her, and, and she was pursuing it. And out of her barrenness, she was pursuing fulfillment. She wanted to be a fulfilling person, not just to gratify her own desires. This was something much larger than her own desires. I think oftentimes people make the mistake of having children today as uh, fashion accessories to their life. That's not the kind of motivation that Hannah had. Mo she was motivated by a deep, compelling need to fulfill her purpose, to be fruitful and to add to society, to have standing in society because she was raising more of an army for God, more people for God, hallelujah. So at any rate, um, Elkanah loved Hannah with all his heart, but he had to have children, so he went and got another wife. And the second wife was really brought in just to produce children. And so she did produce children. But in the producing of children, she used to torment Hannah. And because she knew that she was the second wife, she wasn't the first wife, 
um, because she knew she was the second wife and that her whole job was just basically to have children, she wanted what she couldn't have, which was to be the favorite. She wanted the favored position. She wanted the number one position. And she couldn't have it because her husband, Elkanah, loved Hannah. I mean, he really loved her. So the only way she could compensate for that, this was uh, uh, Penina, I think was her uh, name. She, um, she tormented. She tormented Hannah. And... Uh, probably called her names, referring to her barrenness, and just picked at her. And she did that, you know, because she wanted to elevate herself. So <clears throat> Hannah was tormented. And Hannah's desire for children had elevated to desperation. Her barrenness drove her to a place where she became desperate. But in her desperation, she became desperate before God. And that is the story of Hannah. Now, the scripture that I'd like to read about Hannah says in 1 Samuel 1, 6 and 7, and Hannah's rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year after year that they would go up to the house of God, up to the temple, and she would go up to the house of the Lord, and on the way up, the second wife would provoke her and needle her all the way to church. And the Bible says, therefore, Hannah, when she got into church, wept bitterly and would not eat. So she comes into church, and her prayer is a bitter session of crying in, in desperation and brokenness and anguish to God. Now, most people's relationship with God struggles somewhere between desire and desperation. Most of our relationship, most of us, our relationship with God struggles somewhere between want and need. We want the things of God, but our desire is just that. It is a desire that's in competition. If you remember last week's message, one of the, one of the things about fragile desire is that desire is highly prone to competition. So the bottom line is that uh, most of us live somewhere between need for God, uh, um, desire for God and need for God. We lack that desperation. But when your desire for God has fought and survived all of its opportunities to be satisfied with denial or to be compensated with a consolation prize, and yet it still refuses to die, then your desire begins to elevate into desperation. Most of us will have a desire for God, but after the prayer's not answered, after it doesn't seem like the answer's going to come, we settle into satisfaction and we accept denial. And we learn to live with it. And we make ourselves happy. We console ourselves with what God has given us. And, you know, I don't want to make it sound like that's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But you've heard the old expression, the greatest obstacle or the greatest enemy the greatest enemy to excellent is what? 
It's good. Settling for good instead of aiming for excellence. And there's certain things in God that until our desire comes to the place of excellence, which is desperation, there is no answer. Heaven holds back. Can you imagine all those scriptures that say, call unto me and I will answer you. Yet there's certain things God holds back. He holds in reserve and they will not be released until somebody comes before him with desire that has morphed into desperation. Jesus described it this way. He said, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, I will fill that. Well, we think of hunger and thirst kind of like the hunger you might start feeling in a second hour of my message. Um, but that's not the hunger and thirst Jesus was talking about. That's just feeling a desire for food. You're a little thirsty, you feel, and you never let it get to desperation. You, you get to Burger King first, or you get to the pizza place, or wherever it is that you've got to go to get your tacos. You're not going to ever get desperate if you can help it. You're just going to, I'm a little hungry, I'm going to eat something. So in this life, we never experience the kind of hunger and thirst that Jesus said he will fill. For all of the Christians in our land, why does it seem that righteousness is slipping away? Why do not the millions of Christians have their prayers answered to see righteousness? It's because we are not hungering and thirsting. We like it. We want it. We're interested. But our desire has not hit critical mass. It has not broken out into the place where we're talking about starvation. Jesus was saying those that starve for righteousness will be filled. He wasn't talking about those that have a little appetite. And so many of us have either only a few times in our life experienced that kind of starvation of the soul or we've never experienced the starvation of the soul. And that is why we do not experience those great, miraculous, powerful, breakthrough answers from God. Now, keep your mind on Hannah. Hannah is a barren woman who cannot have children. She wants what she cannot have. Say that with me. She wants what she cannot have. Now, that is desperation. When you want what you cannot produce, what you cannot go get for yourself, what you cannot make happen, and you don't know anybody who can make it happen for you. So when focused on God in prayer, desperation leads to blessings. But, but before that happens, it can seem more like punishment than it does a blessing. Hannah wasn't feeling like she was blessed with desperation. She was punished with desperation. But God did not want to comfort her. Now listen very carefully. When we get into studying prayer and experiencing in our life, we are not talking about experiencing something that never becomes uncomfortable. It's always just happy and it's always just joyful. There's a whole side of prayer that deals with misery 
and deals with discontentment and is harsh and is lonely. God did not comfort Hannah because there was a divine purpose in her desperation. Are you listening to me? God did not want Hannah to get over not having children. Today, especially as a pastor, I know that it seems our automatic response to someone who's deeply desirous of something, but they can't have it. They're wanting something they can't have, and it appears that God is saying no because the answer hasn't come, is to instantly rush in and console them and to say, just be comforted, it's okay. You know, the Lord's blessed you with a husband that just loves you, and, you know, start pointing out all of those consolations. But you remember, Hannah wasn't the only woman who was desperate like that. Rebecca also, the favored wife, Give me children or else I die, she said. God has always sent the greatest prophets to barren women who stretch their souls out before him in utter desperation, refusing to be consoled. God did not want Hannah to get over not having children. He wanted her in pain, in heartfelt pain, to keep pressing for something she could not have. He wanted her to pray for something that she could not have. Is that not what a miracle is? Is that not what a miracle is? We pray for miracles, but we refuse to let ourselves get to the point that people get to that receive miracles. Wanting a miracle, believing in miracles, does not produce it, or you and I would have had lots of more, lot more miracles to talk about during testimony time. Are you listening to me this morning? Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That is it not a miracle when we, when we ask for something that is impossible? We can't have it. Life is denying it, and it seems even God is denying it. But that's what a miracle is. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 27, Paul writes, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So, who is the one that wants something they can't have? The mother, the mother who is not pregnant cannot have a child. That's what he's saying. The mother who has not gone into labor cannot hold a new baby. She wants something she hasn't labored for. She wants something that did not grow in her womb. She wants something she did not produce. Life has denied her. And yet God said, you who reach for what you cannot have. You who have been denied in life, keep reaching, but reach to me. Be desperate before me, not just desperate in your circumstance, and rejoice because I will make you more plentiful and more fruitful if you will be willing to become desperate before God. Are you listening? You see, the desperation that God is looking for isn't desperation in the condition of your circumstance. It's desperation in the condition of your heart. 
Everybody experiences desperation in their circumstances. But why do only a handful of people see answers in those desperate circumstances? Because they never allow their heart to become desperate in their circumstances. They peel off from the pursuit. They turn aside and they go off into left field somewhere and they accept a religious consolation. They accept no from God. And only a few people ever really press in until they get a yes. Are you listening to what I'm saying this morning? God deliberately draws us. Now there are times we pray for things that God just frankly does not want to give and we're not going to get anywhere. But we're obviously talking about something that has to do with his purpose. What was Hannah's purpose? To have children. By the way, she had, she not only got an answer, she, she had a, got a boy, his name was Samuel, and became the greatest prophet in Israel, but she had six kids after that. So she, she got her answer. But why did God drag it out? He knew that he was going to give her a whole mess of kids. Why did he drag it out? Because one day she went into the temple, and she was so desperate she said to God, if you give me a son, how many of you know the story? What did Hannah say? I will give him back to you. I will give him to you. He'll be raised in your house. He will be yours. I just want to say, I have fulfilled my purpose. I have produced something that gives back to the world. And she was willing to put that answer back into the hands of God. God said, your son is on the way. Someone say, praise the Lord. What are you praying for? What's the holdup? You need to pray and press in until you become so desperate that you're willing to have it God's way. That you're willing to put the answer in God's hand. You see, God is not saying no to us half as much as we think that he is. He is trying to bring you and I into the position where we can receive something that heaven wants to give, not just something that we want to have. Desperation helps you to want what God wants to give, not just what you want to have. God begins by using your desire. He begins by using the things that you want but he draws you along until you relinquish, not give up your desire, but you give it to him and let him say, let me show you where real fulfillment comes from. I've got an answer for you. It's different than what you began seeking for, but if you'll seek me and hang in there, I'll give you something that will glorify me and make you a testimony. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. Hannah would not accept comfort for her barrenness. She wouldn't take comfort. You see, that's where we lose 95% of the Christians. 95% of us will pray, but then after a while, we move on. We have to move on. I've got to go to work. I've got a family to raise. I've got responsibilities. I can't hang out at this altar and, and put my life on hold until the destiny that I believe God's put in my heart is fulfilled. I'm going to have to go find something else to do. How many of you are living a life that you have settled for 
that you gave up the life that God put in your heart. The years are rolling up on you if you haven't noticed. And they're going to be over with soon and you're never going to be the man or the woman that God put in your heart to be. If you're going to do it, you know, people say, well, if you're going to do it, you better get busy. No, no, no. The kinds of things you're seeking for don't come because you got busy. They come because you got desperate. And you got so desperate, you were willing to push everything aside and go after God to have it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't take the lack of an answer as denial from God. Hannah would not accept comfort for her barrenness. And there was a reason for that. God was drawing her out. And the reason was Samuel. Samuel needed a mother who was filled with unconsolable desire morphing into desperation to the point where she gave her heart over to God and said, when you give me the son, I'll put him in the house of God. I can think of so many comments I'd like to make about children and how we relate with our children and how we receive them. You know, we, we can't control our children. Um, they are their own people. But I believe there are answers that God wants to give, sometimes in the form of children, sometimes in the form of a, a vision, a purpose in life, a, a project, something God wants you to do. And God draws us out, draws us out, draws us out. And, and why? Because heaven has a Samuel, and no, no, no ordinary mother will do. Are you listening to me? Samuel could not be brought into the world with just a woman who wanted kids. And, and Israel, listen now, because this has to do with where we are today. Israel desperately needed a prophet from God. The nation was in decline. Confusion ruled the land. The enemies had moved in on Israel. They were a divided nation. They were simply divided tribes bickering among themselves and being routinely and regularly uh, uh, broken in upon by their enemies. And to top it off, they were backsliding and forgetting the Lord. They needed a prophet. Israel needed a Samuel. But God needed a Hannah. God needed a Hannah. Oh God, bless us with discontentment. This morning is communion and we're going to come to this table. I wonder how many of us would really say, God, bless me with desperation. Bless me with discontentment. Church, I believe, <clears throat> excuse me, that heaven is bulging at the seams, like a sail so full of wind that the very seams are beginning to come apart. Heaven is bulging at the seams with desire from God to burst forth upon us and upon this land. But that bulging sail of heaven, filled with the pressure of God's desire to burst upon us, is waiting to be matched by desire upon the earth. Are you listening? God creates everything to reproduce after its kind. And that is a law in the spirit as well as in the natural. When God 
is moving in deep desire, he has to find men and women who rise to that level of desire. Are you listening? Before he can make a connection. He does not connect with people who are mediocre in their interest. He won't do it. He doesn't do it. I am holy, says the Lord. Be ye holy. I am serious. And God can't find a serious person to talk with. I'm full of desire to pour out my spirit. God can't find a man or a woman that have the same desperate desire to receive the spirit. Are you listening? I believe, God says, that that mountain range should move. In fact, I know it's my will, but God can't find somebody on the other side of that prayer who is believing like God is believing. You see, God doesn't need your abilities to match up with his abilities. His abilities are fine. That's not what he's asking from you. In fact, don't get me wrong, but God's not asking for your perfection to match up with his either. I know the Bible says, be ye holy for I am holy, but holiness only partially involves perfection. What it really involves more than anything else is desire for God and the absolute refusal to allow anything against God to enter in and break or cause a conflict in our life with Him. So the fact is, God is not even looking for perfection on your part. God's not saying, I have a Samuel to release upon the nation. I have Samuel-level answers to pour out in my church and upon the land. And, I'm, and I need a people that um, are as clean and as perfect as I am in order to connect. God doesn't, God's not like that. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a desire that will match his desire. These people, Hannah, Rebecca, Elizabeth, these, these people were not perfect. They weren't chosen by God because they were more holy than anyone else. The Bible tells us why they got the answers they got, because they were desperate before the Lord. Can you say amen? It's your desperation that God wants to match up with. How many of you are sitting there listening to what I'm saying, thinking, I see some tumblers falling into place. This answers a few things for me. Is this answering anything for anybody this morning? Hallelujah. God is bulging at the seams. Heaven is about to burst. I see Samuel's waiting to be birthed by Hannah's in the body of Christ today. And I close with this thought. Perhaps, perhaps you, perhaps you are only a few degrees away from compatibility with God's desire. What if you're just a few degrees, just a few degrees away? You've been examining your life. You've been checking your habits. You've been agonizing and scrutinizing yourself and taking inventory making an analysis. What's not right in my home? What, what more do I need to do? You've done enough. The answer's not going to come from that. The issue's in your heart. Are you desperate? Are you, des are you desperate enough to change your schedule?
Are you desperate enough to change where you go, what you say, and what you do? Not because God doesn't like the way you say or where you go or what you do, but because you have to pursue a Samuel. And that's got to take precedent. That's got to take... De people that are desperate to receive a Samuel, like this woman, was desperate, had to order her life. Notice that she was miserable, but she still went to church. Now, I, that's a pastor's message right there. That's, I could preach a whole other message right now. She was weeping, agonized, irritated, probably had mascara running down both cheeks, hair all messed up, didn't sleep, but she went to the house of God. Why? Because she was desperate. All we need is a pimple, a rash, a bellyache, and we're in bed, we're home Sunday morning, we're not, you know, I need to give myself a little break. <laughs> you see, what are those? Those are consolation prizes. You're consoling yourself because what you really want from God is too hard to reach out and take hold of. You're not willing to pay the price. We don't purchase the blessings of God. You can't. That's not what paying the price is. Paying the price is rising in desperation to match God's desperate desire to bless you. Perhaps this morning you're only a few degrees away. What if you're that close? What do I say to you? Press in. Wipe the tears from your cheeks and take those tears to the altar. Take it to God. Take it to God. Don't bother going anywhere else. Take it to God. Don't fight with the second wife. Who cares? Take it to God. Go to Him. Run to Him. Run to Him. Run to Jesus. Because God has a Samuel for you. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to talk about not desire, not desperation, but delight as a motivation to pray. But right now, I'm about to invite you to the communion table. If you would stand with me.